1 Peter chapter 1, if you will find that place in your Bible. What a gift to be here today. The singing, thank you for singing as God's people today. It is beautiful to be with you. The last two weeks, we were in the greeting and then the opening blessing of the book of 1 Peter, and we heard Peter lay before us the most beautiful, spiritual truth and reality. This, these last two weeks have been lofty theological language. God's multiplied grace and peace to us has been laid before us in Peter's words. His, his conversation, his communication to us about salvation, which began with his gracious choice, his foreknowledge of us, including the new birth, born again, and the ongoing transformation of the Holy Spirit, the work of Christ in cleansing us of our sins and ruling over us as Lord, all of this in these first few verses. Peter said it's according to God's mercy that we've been born again, to a living hope given an eternal inheritance, guarded by God until we enter that completed salvation state when we see Christ in just five verses already, we've heard about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, the forgiveness of sins, heaven that awaits God's power, grace, peace, hope, faith. In five verses, you can see, just hearing that brief review of these verses, it makes me want to preach them again. But we come to verse 6. And Peter puts all of this great and gracious gospel truth in the context of the situation in life. The real place in life for these Christians in these regions in the first century. And the situation, he said, is various trials and the testing of their faith and if you're like me you might be tempted to think that's what I thought good news today but there's always tomorrow don't get carried away with all the high ideas all the lofty theology because reality is going to smack us in the face calm down curb your enthusiasm but that's not at all the way Peter is thinking. Not at all. Peter puts all of this gospel grace and mercy before us because this, this is our joy. This is our reason to rejoice while we are in the trials. Peter is not undoing what he said before. He's not saying there's all this good, oh, sorry, the bad's coming. He's not even trying to balance the scales. Do you live like that? We've got some good going on. Well, let's find the bad so we can balance things out. Peter is aiming for our joy in these trials and testings of our faith. Well, that's today. I've got to read the text. I'm ready to preach now, but I've got to read the text. Stand with me in honor of God's word, 1 Peter. I'm going to start in verse 3 
to give us context, but we're going to focus today beginning in verse 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is God's word for us. You may be seated. The question is in trials. And testings of our faith, from where does our joy come? The natural person, the natural tendency is to turn inward, to look for some natural wisdom, to tap into our natural resources, to find something within ourselves to navigate through the hard times of life. Or we may turn outward, we may look to other people, we may look to things, we may look to experiences to distract us from hard realities. Peter is saying, look up. He's turning our eyes upward. He's turning us to God. He's turning us to spiritual realities of the gospel to ground us and to produce joy. Our joy comes from the Lord. Our joy is in the Lord. That is the message of the text. We're going to take the text in three parts. It tells us that we rejoice. We rejoice while we're grieved by trials and the testing of our faith. Second, it tells us that we rejoice because God is doing something in the trials of our faith. And it tells us that we rejoice by keeping our eyes on Christ. First, we rejoice. Verse 6 tells us, we rejoice in this, God's mercy, and we rejoice while we are in the trials. We rejoice, it says in verse 6, in this. What is this? This is the great mercy of God and all the mercies that flow from the mercy of God the, the previous verses we looked at all of those last week verses three through five once again we're looking back on the salvation that is to be revealed to us in the last time and we're seeing all of the aspects of this salvation that Peter is laying before us that are all according to his mercy later he's going to call it in chapter five this is the true grace of God and he says stand right here put your hope right here put your heart right here 
Let your mind be right here in the great salvation, all of the mercies, the lavished grace of God, the fact that God saves you and you are born again and he has forgiven you and you have an inheritance and he's guarding you. Stand right there. Receive this. Remember this. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in God. This is his point. In this, you rejoice. What do you rejoice in, brothers and sisters? What are you rejoicing in if you've never heard any, any of this news before about Jesus Christ? You've never heard anything about the gospel except that it's tagged in front of a word here in Nashville we call music. What is this all about? It's that God loves you and he will save you. He will forgive you. He will reconcile you to himself. He will give you his very spirit to live inside of you. He will get you all the way to glory. This is the gospel. He says rejoice in this. Where's your hope? Where's your joy? A great prayer is may the Holy Spirit, may the Spirit of God show us the depths of our sin and of our need and of our helplessness. Why? Because then, then we will be driven by God himself, to God himself, in repentance and faith. And there we will find a joy that is deeper and greater and more helpful, merciful, gracious to save us from our sin and our helpless estate. Find our joy in God, he's saying. In this we rejoice. But look what else he says in verse 6. We rejoice in the various trials in times when faith is tested. He says, if necessary, for a little while. This is the while. This is the time now. Remember, we don't rejoice in the trial as in I'm so happy about this trial. No trial has ever made me happy. No testing has ever been fun. It's the whole nature of a trial and testing. It's not fun. It's the mercy we are rejoicing in. But we are rejoicing in the mercy while we're in the trial, while we are tested. Now, what does Peter say about the trial? Again, maybe you're like me, and you always wonder if your trial counts. Well, is what I'm going through, does it qualify to be the kind of trial that the Bible's talking about? What does he mean by trial? Well, he might not say as much as we want him to say, meaning he might not list a hundred trials so that you can find yours, but he gives us enough. This is what he says about these trials. He says, they are now. They are now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. This life, this place, we are sojourners, you remember? Verse 1, we are sojourners. We are living in a land that we're to live in faithfully, but we have a citizenship in another place called the kingdom of God. We are sojourners. And that very fact brings enough tension because we're trying to live loyal to Christ in this world. That brings enough tension that in itself qualifies as a trial. The trial is the tension, and it is now. He says, it's for a little while, meaning not forever. 
but it feels like forever, doesn't it? Maybe, maybe there will be a resolve to the specific trial that you're going through in your life. Maybe. Maybe not. Years ago, I read, I've mentioned the book here often, J.I. Packer, Knowing God. And one of the greatest things I got from that book was his call to be a realist. And one of the things that guides me as a pastor and someone who preaches is to remain a realist. Which means to never make promises that God didn't make. And to never tell people that things are going to happen that might not happen. So the reality is that maybe there will be some resolve to the specific trials that we are going through now. But maybe not. Certainly, there will be some trials that will be with us every single day of this life. But they are not forever. They are not forever. Because forever is eternal. And someday, there will be a day. This I can promise. I don't promise it. The Bible does. This the Bible promises. There will be a day when all trials will end because Christ returns and is revealed. But today, compared with eternity, this life is just a little while. And brothers and sisters, by God's grace, we can make it. By God's grace, we can endure. By God's grace, we can stay faithful a little while longer. He says they're now, they're a little while. He says, verse 6, they are necessary. We're coming to that. He says they cause grief. We all have some grief. It's part of what it means to be like Jesus. He was a man who was acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. We all have some grief. We all have the testings of our faith. We all wonder if God will really come through. We all need help with our unbelief. It's a great joy to know people, to come to know people who you think are really great in the faith. Like people who are just outpacing you, you think, oh, these people are just, they don't have any trials or tribulations. They're on top of the world. Their faith is so strong. And then you sit with them and they start telling you things. And they start unburdening their soul and letting you in. And you see, oh, you are like me after all. All of us have these griefs and these testings of faith. So that's what Peter has to say about these trials. He's been specific just enough for us to know that the trials are now and for a little while and they're necessary and they cause some grief and they test our faith. But he's been general enough so that we can apply what he is saying to the variety of situations in our lives. He says, 
the testings, the, the trials come in various forms. So if he listed a hundred, you're bound to find yours there. And if, he, if you don't, he could list two and you'd still find it because they're, they're various in form. There are all kinds of trials that we face. What are you experiencing now? Well, you won't experience it forever, but you're experiencing it now. What are you experiencing today? What's causing some form of grief today? Some sort of fear today? Some unsettledness today? What is it that's testing your faith today? Wondering, causing you to wonder if God is going to remain faithful to His Word. Whatever it is, there's a place to say that. And it's before God. God does not shame His children. God does not embarrass His children. God does not say, one more time you have to come and talk to me about that. He welcomes. If there's ever a safe place to tell God your trials, it's before Him in prayer. So this is the context. This is the situation in life. He doesn't even yet. He will. He will name some specific things later. But right now he doesn't get too specific because he wants us to know that this is all of our situation in life. This is the place where we find joy. And to do that, we have to remember God's mercy. Remember, joy is connected to God's mercy. That's the rejoicing that we do. In mercy and in the trials of life. The second thing that we get from the text is that we rejoice because of what God is doing in the trials. And this is certainly one of His mercies. One of the great mercies of God is that He works in our lives while we are in these testings of faith. He is testing our faith, He is purifying our faith, and He is leading us all the way to glory in our faith. Verse 7, He says, Now, if necessary, it, we could say that Peter, what Peter is saying is, Now, it is necessary. It is necessary that we experience these and that we are grieved by these various trials so that our faith will be tested. This is what God is doing. In times of trials, our faith is tested, and that testing purifies our faith so that we trust God more fully, and that proves its genuineness. And this is happening in every trial as we turn to the Lord. Everything we go through in this life, as we re rely upon the Lord, it's a relationship. As we talk to Him, as we pray, as we trust Him from the heart, every time that happens, He is working. He is purifying. Every time we hold to the goodness and the grace of God, every time we say, I will believe God, every time we remain faithful to His will and to His commands, Every time God takes that trial and in some greater way purifies our faith, this is what He's doing. This is a place for our joy to rest. Each time, all the time, we are being purified, even though, even though each time we may feel like we're starting all over again. Why is this? I'm amazed that I have been a Christian now, walking with Jesus intentionally, like, like purposefully trying to walk with Jesus Christ now for 45 years. 
And some days I feel like I'm just starting out. Why is that? I feel like there are days when I'm, it's like there are no lessons that I have stored up in 45 years. I'm out here praying over something. I, I feel just as pitiful, just as helpful. I know you, you think, oh, that's not true. No, it's, it's true. Ask my wife. Sometimes I tell her. Why is that? I don't know. But we believe with all of our hearts, and, I, and I, I'm trusting that even though I feel like that, God is purifying my faith. Even though I feel like every challenge is a new one and that I haven't learned anything from the one before, God is purifying my faith. He is working in me for this purpose, and I find joy in this. If there's anything about getting a little bit older in the faith, at least now I know where the Bible verse exists. I can go back and read it and pray it. He's testing and he's purifying when he's testing. He's purifying our faith so that our faith would be a precious thing to him, more precious than gold. What is the value and the preciousness of a genuine, pure, purified faith? What is it? It's because it reflects the grace of God. It reflects the goodness of God's mercy. It reflects the trustworthiness of God's character and nature. Faith does. It reflects, our faith reflects the image of Christ formed in us by the Holy Spirit. I read this somewhere. I don't remember where I read it, but I read it somewhere and I tried it. I heard that a goldsmith can purify gold so pure that you can see, he can see his reflection in it. So I got my ring and I was looking and it doesn't work but I heard I have to get that polished or something but I heard that that's true now God purifies our faith so that the reflection of Christ is seen in us do you know what Peter says about Christ? We're coming there later. It's going to take a while to get there, but we're getting there in a couple chapters. But this is what Peter says about Christ. He said that Christ, when he suffered, entrusted himself to God. That's faith. He trusted the Heavenly Father. He entrusted himself to the Heavenly Father. So when we are purified in our faith, then we are entrusting ourselves to God. And when we are entrusting ourselves to God, we are reflecting the image of Jesus, which brings glory to Him. There is the value of a purified faith. This is God's purpose for us. God wants to make us like Christ. God wants us to reflect his son. And he does that through the process of purifying our faith. So it's, it's necessary that we go through trials. I don't like to hear that. And you don't either. But it's 
It's absolutely necessary, Peter is saying here, that we go through this refining process so that the tested genuineness of our faith may be seen, may result. I love a line I read from Charles Spurgeon just a week or two ago. It was, he was writing about Psalm 18, but he said this, faith must be experienced or the preciousness of God is not truly known. Faith must be experienced or the preciousness of God is not truly known. Now, what that means is that we must have our hearts tested, our lives tested. There must be an activeness to our faith. It must be an entrusting over to God. We must experience it, not just say, yes, I believe, but, you know, I'm a realist. And so I'm going to go somewhere else to find what I need. I believe in God, but I'm going to go somewhere. That's not faith. We have to say, I believe in God. I trust God. And now I am, here's experienced faith. I am entrusting my whole being, my whole life, this trial, my future, today, tomorrow. I'm entrusting to God. This is experienced, tested, purified faith. And in so doing, we come to know the preciousness of God. We come to know how God is reliable to his word, how his spirit works in our lives and encourages us to keep going. We wake up and we can't explain why we are trusting him except by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is an experienced faith. And when that happens, God is seen as precious. God is known as precious. That's the preciousness, the beauty, the value of faith. In our trials, God is calling us to actually, really trust Him and Him alone. He's leading us in our trials to experience and exercise faith that we might prove God's trustworthiness as well as the genuineness of our faith. One of the great wilderness experiences of the nation of Israel, at least one for me that I return to often, is found in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8. And what's happening there is the Lord is, Moses is recounting to the nation of Israel the way God treated them when they came out of their slavery in Egypt. And he says that the Lord said, I brought you out from slavery, I brought you into the wilderness, and I let you hunger. Now, if you read that, you think, how cruel. But God said to the nation, he said, I let you, I let you hunger. Now, he did feed them. He fed them manna. They wanted the bread of Egypt. And he said, no, I'm not going to feed you that. I'm going to feed you manna. And he only fed them a day at a time. He wouldn't let them store anything up. He fed them, but he says, before I fed you, I let you hunger then I fed you why and he tells them why I don't have to guess he tells them why I did this to test you to see if you would trust me to see to lead you to put your complete and total trust in me and my word and then you would know that 
Humans, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the genuine tested faith. It's more precious than gold. And God is aiming at that. And when we know this, we can take great joy to know that nothing is lost with God. This is a statement of faith. But nothing is lost with God. No, no trial, no hardship, no experience that makes you stop and say, uh-oh, what do I do now? God, I need you. I need your help. This is challenging. None of that is wasted with God. He is aiming with every bit of it to purify our faith. And that we take joy because he's working. And continuing on with, the, with this theme, the result of this tested faith, he says, is in verse 8, that it may, or 7, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The result of tested faith is praise, glory, and honor. Question, whose? Is it Christ's praise and glory and honor? Or is it ours? Well, faith certainly honors Christ. Faith certainly glorifies Christ. Faith certainly is to the praise of Christ and of His grace and of His greatness. But Hebrews tells us that faith is also rewarded. Hebrews 11 be a great one for you to read this afternoon. You can't go out and play anyway. It's raining. Hebrews 11. In verse 6, he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards. God rewards. So we would say that what Peter is talking about here is that we are, we are praised. We are given glory we are honored with Christ. We share. We share in the praise and the honor and the glory of Christ. We share in it by faith. We share in it by union with Christ. We share in it by grace. And we share in it as God tests our faith and purifies our faith through trials. This is, this is what God is doing. He's getting us there. And this is what's coming for the children of God. What's coming for us, the children of God? Well, two things are coming for us. Trials. And I don't say it lightly. Because I know how real they are. And I've experienced them. And I've walked with many of you for 30 years as you've experienced some of the deepest heartaches you've ever known. And that's what's coming. And as God purifies our faith in these trials, here's what's coming for us. Here's what's coming. Praise. And glory. And honor. And that from a realist called Peter. Because it's from God. This conviction brings us great joy. Brothers and sisters, 
Here's the realism. Don't put your hope and your joy anywhere else. Put it in Christ. You will not be disappointed. And then, third and finally, how? Verses 8 and 9 tell us how we find this joy and this rejoicing in trials. We find it by looking to Christ. Now, when I read this, let's, let's read the verse, part of verse 7 and then verse 8. He says that this tested faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, verse 8, though you have not seen him. Every verse in the Bible is intentional and purposeful. But it almost sounds like Peter is just breaking out into spontaneous words here because the very mention of Jesus' name, the very mention of Jesus' name makes him want to talk about loving him. He says, verse 8, though you have not seen him, These people did not see him. Peter did. Peter saw Jesus when he walked on the earth. He saw Peter. Peter saw Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. He saw Jesus when Jesus was being nailed to the cross. He saw Jesus after Jesus rose from the dead. But these people didn't. And there were, 1 Corinthians tells us, there were over 500 other people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And these people were not there. They did not see Jesus and he says you don't see him now and we don't see him now it's obvious why because after he rose from the dead he ascended into heaven so he is now at the right hand of God so we haven't seen him like these people we don't see him now like these people but look what Peter says he says and yet you love him you believe in him And you rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. So here's the oddity of what we do. We are intelligent, sane human beings sitting in a room on a Sunday morning talking about a man that we believe is alive. We've never seen him, and we can't see him now. And we're resting the whole weight of our lives, of our future, on him. That's the most sane way to live. This is faith. This is what God wants as he's purifying our faith. We don't live long so we can grow cynical. We live long so we can have a purified faith in Christ with more joy and more hope. This is the Christian life today. Loving Christ. Believing in Christ. Rejoicing in Christ in whom we've never heard. We've heard but never seen. This is the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. What is Peter driving at here? Two things. He's expressing confidence that these people, in fact, have faith. 
He's saying you love Him. He's saying you believe in Him. He has confidence in this. He has confidence in this because he has confidence in God's power. Back up in verse 5, he said, it's God who's going to guard you. It's God who's going to keep you. It's God who's going to keep you in faith. You're not going to keep yourself in faith. God's going to keep you in faith. He has confidence in God, so he has confidence in saying that these people love Christ. It's Paul in Philippians 1. I'm confident that he who started the good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. And so we say of ourselves. Look what God is doing. Look what God is doing here today. Look what God is doing in this room. Look what God is doing because you're sitting here. And the person sitting next to you. Look what God is doing because you love Christ. You believe in Christ. You've never seen Him. But you love Him and you believe in Him. And we're sitting here in this room and we're worshiping him and we are together. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are a local congregation, an expression of that church of Jesus Christ. We are being faithful to Christ. We're reading the Bible. We're building ourselves up in the faith. We're trying to walk in holiness and purity. Why? Because God is guarding us. And we don't see him and we won't see him until he returns. But look what God is doing. You love him. And you believe in him. And Peter is saying, secondly, keep loving him. Keep believing in him. Keep looking to him. Because this is where your joy will come from. Keep after Christ. Put Christ before the eyes of your mind and your heart. Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on him. What Peter is doing and what he will do in the rest of this letter is he will hold up Christ before us. That's all we want. Sometimes I get a little nervous because I'm not all that great with my outlines. And I'm afraid you'll go home and your outline won't be complete. And oh my goodness, how are you going to get through the week if your outline is not complete? But isn't all we really want is Christ held up before us? Isn't that all we really need? You don't don't follow the road as a pilgrim in progress by following an outline. You follow the road as a pilgrim in progress by following Christ. He's holding Christ up before our eyes. You don't see him, but you love him. You don't see him now, but you believe in him. And you've got joy, and it's inexpressible, and it's filled with glory because Christ is going to save your soul. Who are you looking to? Look to Christ. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Believe in Christ. Turn to Christ. Become a Christian. If you're a Christian, be a Christian. Live like a Christian. Look like one. Think, I mean, like look like, see like one. I don't know what one looks like on the outside, but see like one. See Christ. This is the source of our joy. It's joy in various trials. It's joy in the testing of our faith. It's joy that will not disappoint. Father in heaven, thank you for your love today.
And help us, Father. We don't want to balance out the good by talking about the bad. But we do know, we do know because of reality that more testing of faith, various trials will come. And it is our fervent prayer today that you would so build up the faith of this congregation through the vision of Christ that we would remain, remain with you. Take a few seconds. Respond to God.